everybody tonight. Everybody hear me? Hear me yet? We good? All right. Well, good. Thank you for having me. It's, uh, you don't know me, and I don't know most of you. So I'm just going to tell you a little bit about myself. I am a retired police officer. Uh, I've been retired for about a year and a half now, and uh, retirement's good. Uh, prior to that, I was a pastor in uh, three separate churches uh, in the 1990s, and so I enjoyed the ministry, enjoyed uh, small churches, larger churches, and uh, really had a good time. So um, I want to also mention that I've got a couple of special guests here with me tonight. Uh, my wife, uh, Wendy, is here with me, and we've been married now for 30 years, and uh, I think that's something to celebrate, right? So. And uh, we've got my mother, uh, Donna, uh, here with us as well, and she lives with us, and I've known her for a long time. <laughs> and uh, so it's, uh, it's exciting to just to be able to have a chance to share and talk, and um, you know, there's a lot of uh, interesting things going on in our world. Um, you know, I've marveled at how times have changed since we got married. And, uh, you know, when we got married, uh, we stood up and then the, the minister at the end, he said, uh, and by the power vested in me, I pronounce you husband and wife. And, uh, of course, the next step was you may kiss the bride. And that sort of sealed the deal. Well, interesting, I saw a Facebook status today with a little cartoon that sort of, it captured the, the, the spirit of the day. And it's got a bride and a groom standing in front of the minister. And the minister says, uh, by the power vested in me, I now pronounce you husband and wife. And you see both of them, they're on their cell phones. And he says, in order to seal the deal, now you can update your status. <laughs> and it's kind of a cute little poke at where we're at, but it, it is kind of where we're at. You know, that's how people really announce to the world that things have happened. And uh, so... Anyhow, I wonder if we can uh, just uh, have a moment to pray. Jesus, we really want to hear your voice. A lot of voices out there, but we want to hear yours. So we ask you and we trust you. Speak to us tonight. Amen. Now, we're in the middle of a series called Joy in the Midst of Anything. And it's interesting how uh, often we don't understand what joy is. You know, it's, it's sort of tagged onto the end of something called enjoy. And, you know, we think it's, we can enjoy a lot of things. But joy is really something that happens on the other side of pain. Joy is something that comes to our souls when we've been through something really hard. And joy is something, you know, weeping lasts for the night, they say but joy comes in the morning. Joy is an experience that you have when you've been through something hard. And it's really uh, cool that we can talk about having joy in the midst of anything. Paul, the apostle, was able to uh, talk about having this kind of joy in the midst of anything. And so I want us to read uh, from... Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 to 30. And Paul has been giving some instructions to the church. Uh, not very much. Paul is writing to a group of his friends. And it's quite, some of the other letters that Paul wrote are very instructive. But right at this point, we get to a very personal point in the sermon, or sorry, in, in, uh, 
his letter. And he says in verse 19, I hope in the Lord to send to you, or in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he served with me in the midst of the work, served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope therefore to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him and not only on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him to you so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make us make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. You know, we live in a world of constant messaging. Messages come at us at lightning speed. Friends, television, social media, hardly a moment goes by where we're not confronted by an opinion, a suggestion, or a new idea. Problem is, we end up with information overload. We end up confused sometimes, we unprepared and stuck in spite of the awesomeness of the information we don't know where to turn because we've got so much of it. I want to talk to you today about who to listen to. When I was a young recruit in the RCMP, I was on field training for the first six months. And the first week that I was on field training, my trainer uh, turned on the car radio. We were listening to the AM radio. And she turned on, we, I worked in Surrey, so we had a northern channel and then a southern channel. And she turned on the, uh, the northern channel and she made me turn on the southern channel on my, uh, on my hip. And of course, every car is equipped with a, a, a computer screen with lots of information on it as well. And in the first week, I found it quite difficult because there was so much information coming at me. And so I questioned her, and I said, why don't we turn some of this off? And she said, no, no. I want you to see what it's like. I want you to know what's going on out there. But I also want you to train your ear to know who to listen to so that when you get to the call you're on, you're fully prepared. You need to train how you listen. And I thought, wow. And over time, I began to tune out. And I realized that it was just as important for me to learn who to tune out, when to tune them out, as it was to know who to listen to. Those two things are really relevant for us in our world. With all of the messaging that we have, we need to know who to tune out. It's okay to know what's going on, but we know, need to know who we're going to listen to. 
In our text this evening, Paul was writing to the church at Philippi this personal letter, and it's clear that he loved these people and had a personal feelings about who they listened to. And Paul hints in our text and explains further in the next chapter that some of the voices out there are coming from people who don't have the best of intentions. That's why he's so excited to send Timothy and Epaphroditus to them because he knows that the message they're going to bring to him is going to be meaningful. It's going to be the voice they need to hear. You know, God has a wonderful plan for your life. It's not pain-free. It's not stress-free. It's not problem-free, but he has a wonderful plan and he's doing something awesome in all of us. Yes, there'll be challenges along the way, but in order for us to become all that God intends for us to become, it's important that we learn who to listen to. In our text, Paul gives us three reasons why he's excited to have Timothy come and to be with them. And here, in these three reasons, we're going to find answers for us to decide who we should listen to. These are really good uh, uh, things to remember when we're wondering what voices we should listen to. The first thing that Paul tells us about Timothy is that there's no one like him. There's no one else like him. Paul trusts him. Uh, uh, he trusts him a lot. And what a testimony to have. It's similar to what people said about Jesus. You know, that one of the things that the, the masses said about Jesus was that nobody ever spoke like this man. It wasn't a common thing to hear somebody speak like Jesus. He was revolutionary in what he said. He wasn't just your average religious teacher. Question. When we seek advice from people, from books and sources, what do you look for? What do you want to hear about the people or the sources that we're uh, listening to? You know, I have an interesting situation that's happened to me. I have a medical con uh, condition. I have trouble uh, hearing in both my ears, but mostly my left ear. And I was quite frustrated because the doctor that I'd been to, uh, the last thing he told me is that there's not much that he can do. And uh, he essentially said, I'm sorry that you're going through this. And I thought, oh my gosh, you know, my mother could have told me that. I didn't need to go to a doctor. <laughs> um, and so... A little while ago, I started to do more research, and I found out there was things that can be done, and I do have some, some medical hope. Um, but it was interesting. You know, on, on, when you go on Google, you can look up people's names and doctors and everything, and you can get reviews. And you can actually see what other people are saying about these doctors. And I thought, well, I'm going to take a look at this doctor that gave me this, this news that I wasn't very fond of. And, you know, it's interesting. You know, there were, uh, he was a three out of five. And I thought, I'm listening to somebody that's a three out of five. That's 40% that's of the people out there were not recommending him. I thought, what average, average voice am I, am I listening to? And so 40%, and I read some of the things that they were saying, they did not recommend him. So I'm seeking new help. So reputation is really important. What other people say I want to go to a doctor that people are saying, there's no one like him. You won't regret going to see him. I want that kind of information. I want to set the standard that high for my life 
that I'm going to search out people that there's no one else like. You know, we can easily uh, lower our standards and just uh, take the average. Uh, it's the easiest thing to do. You know, life can be busy and difficult uh, to find the time to sort things out. And when we do ask for help, it's simply, uh, sometimes it's just the guys at work. And, you know, because we're so busy, we settle for the advice of the guys at work. And, hey, I'm not against talking to the fellas at work, but when you're really going through something and you want some real help, why do we settle for somebody that is, you know, that, that hasn't got much for us? Wendy and I have been married for 30 years, I mentioned. It's gone fast, but when we were dating, we were quite nervous. Uh, the prospect of marriage was, was, was a big one, and Wendy came from a broken home, and we'd both been through relationships that uh, were very difficult and uh, that didn't work out. And because of the prospect of us getting married, we were very open to uh, advice and we were learning from people what what was it that makes a good marriage work we wanted their advice and you know you get various pieces of advice when you open yourself up to, <laughs> to people's relationship uh, uh, advice but uh, we wanted to learn what would make things work and after listening to all of it uh, we came up with a, a couple of pieces of advice and one was that we hold hands and pray when we're going through troubles. That's interesting. Maybe you want to know why we do that. At first, I had to hold hands because I didn't want to get hit. <laughs> and tell the problem. <laughs> uh, but, you know, that was a good piece of advice because it, it calms you down. When you're holding hands with somebody while you're praying, it calms you down and you realize that you're both subject to Jesus and, you know, it brings you, you know, into, the, into a good uh, state of mind while you're praying. And the other piece of advice was don't touch each other before your wedding day. Now, Wendy's a beautiful woman and this was very difficult to do. But, you know, we weren't looking for average advice. We were looking for the best advice that we could possibly get. And that was excellent advice. And I didn't know at the time that that was going to become one of the most valuable things that we ever did or did not do together. Uh, I was away in Regina for six months, uh, separated from my family, and I called back every day. But while I was in Regina, I got the chance to see all of these police officers and what was going on in their families and, and, the, and the devastation. People were, they were fooling around. There was a lack of trust. There was all kinds of stuff going on. And Wendy and I didn't have to worry about that. I trusted her and she trusted me. And together, that piece of advice that we took at the beginning, it felt like a very high standard. And it was. But it was worth listening to. We wanted a marriage that wasn't average. We wanted the best advice we could get. When we talked to our own children about what life should be like, I gave each one of my daughters uh, promise rings on their 13th birthday. It's kind of a cute idea. And Wendy gave one to our son. And we made promises to help them with their, their decisions in life and promises to help them make the best decision. Now, everyone can make average decisions, and not everyone has this background. And I understand that God meets us wherever we're at, no matter what's gone on in our previous and our past. But 
when you're asking, what kind of advice do I want? You want to ask, what's the best advice? If I wanted to hit a home run, how would I do it? So that's what we did. You know, wisdom is something that must be searched for. It's not something that just unfolds right in front of us. It's something you must pretend is like gold or silver, and you must dig and go after it. Because it's out there somewhere, and you, if, you, if, you, if you keep working at it, you'll find it. The next thing that Paul said about Timothy was that he sincerely cares for your welfare. You know, at any given moment in time, we have all kinds of people in our lives, and we seldom take time to consider who are they. We have all kinds of people in our lives, and we're not sure why they're there. Not everyone in your life right now is your friend. It's interesting sometimes to just understand who it is that you're dealing with. You know, we can randomly think that we're friends with everybody because we're nice people, but in reality, you've got some people in your life that aren't your friend. You're getting along with them, but they're not your friend. This is an area that Christian people get tripped up in all the time. We see life through an unrealistic filter called niceness. Somehow we get the impression that Jesus was a nice person. Um, so I should be a nice person. And if I'm a nice enough person, everyone will probably like me. And uh, if they all like me, then they'll probably want to ask my advice. And, you know, the church is trying to like people and be nice to people and, and impress people so that they'll, uh, if they like me, they'll like Jesus. And consequently, we walk around all day trying to be nice people. And if we are nice enough, people will like us and come to church and we'll win the world through niceness. Well, there's a problem with that. Nice people often finish last. And the devil knows this. He wants us to adopt this strategy for our lives because he wants you to finish last. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't be nice to people, but we shouldn't look at ourselves as the ultimate goal is to be a nice person. You know, the, uh, Adam and Eve never stopped to question who the serpent was or why he was in the garden talking to them. But there he was, and they just talked to him. And it ended up that they were listening to the wrong voice. Jesus showed us when he was in the wilderness what we should do when we talk, or, or if we have voices like the serpent talking to us. All he did was he quoted scripture, and he didn't listen uh, to uh, the devil when he tempted him. You know, not everyone in our lives, speaking to us has our best interest in mind. These are sobering thoughts. Jesus was not a nice man. Yes, he was gentle. He was compassionate. He was giving. He was loving. He was a serving person. But I want you to Open up your minds to, you know, often we see the suffering servant side of Jesus. But I want you to picture the Indiana Jones type of Jesus that's got a whip in his hand when it's time to cleanse the temple. He got upset at times. 
there were times where he called people snakes. And uh, he pointed out religious hypocrisy. And he called people out. You know, when he stood before, I think it was Caius, Caiaphas, uh, and he, he gives an answer to Caiaphas and he gets uh, beat across the face. Uh, he points out, he says, I didn't know you were the high priest. And a lot of times people miss this, but Jesus was actually saying, not saying that he didn't know he was the high priest, but there was in fact two high priests at the time. And it was an incredible hypocrisy for Israel to have two high priests at the time. So Jesus pointed at stuff. He didn't avoid things. He was very assertive. And when you read through the Gospels and you read through the story and the life of Jesus, I hope you get the impression that he was a full personality. He had everything going for him. Now, he was uh, very uh, kind to people, but he recognized people for what was going on. Not everyone uh, out there is your friend. Paul recommended Timothy because he was genuinely concerned for their welfare. You know, I'm not sure where you find yourself, whether you're going to school or, uh, but I, I taught my kids that uh, your school friends are in your life for a very short period of time. In fact, there's going to come a time when they're not in your life anymore. And of course, that came true for all of them. But when you're in school, you think that those people you're with are so important at the time. And it forms this peer group that, you know, you don't dare step outside of the opinions and the impressions that they have. And yet not everyone in that peer group sees you as somebody they want to build up and encourage. You know, it's a common thought that we are the combination of the five people we spend the most time with. I want to encourage you to choose people that have your best interest in mind. You know, often this is why parents are among the best people to listen to. Your parents really want what's best for you, most often. And yet sometimes when teenagers are going through the vital decision-making times in their life, their parents are the last people they want to hear from. But long-term, your parents are going to be people that have your best interest in mind. And when you're selecting people to listen to in life, who you're going to uh, uh, take advice from, consider, first of all, do they really care about me? Because you're going to get all kinds of advice from different sources, different groups of people, and they don't necessarily care about you. But if you're not clear about what to look for, you may end up taking advice from people that don't care about you at all. And Paul was very concerned that the people in the Philippian church were going to be receiving advice and, and instruction and teaching from people that had, you know, they cared about anyone but them. Are we like this? When we look around at the people we spend time with, do we really care about them? It's easy to become an organization and a church and to, you know, uh, to, to, to work together. And the church becomes, you know, a great place to meet people, but it's a challenge for us all to become people that actually care genuinely about the people we're with. And often this is a challenge in church because Christians are nice people. Sometimes we have uh, uh, the people we really care about. There's things going on in their life that we don't dare talk about. You know, we know what's going on. We, we, don't, we don't broach the subject because 
you know, we're afraid that, that they might not like us. There is room in the body of Christ for us to actually have something to say that's meaningful to each other. And I encourage this. When we look around at the people we spend time with, do we care about them? And do they care about us? You know, the idea of the church is not to be a collection of nice people that don't care about each other. You know, one of my favorite Proverbs is in chapter 27, verse 6. It says, the wounds of a friend are better than the kisses of an enemy. The wounds of a friend are better than the kisses of an enemy. Interesting. To be open to those people that really care about us. Sometimes they have straight words for us. They wouldn't say some things to us if they didn't care. Now the third thing that Paul points out is that Timothy had proven character. Timothy had a good reputation. You know, I'm going to pick on a particular uh, uh, profession for a moment. I don't mean to pick on the profession. There's many fine people in it. But in the area of financial advisors, I, I think it's really, uh, I mean, it, it's a good profession. But before I take advice from uh, a financial advisor, the question is, I have is, does your advice really work for you? You know, and, and you know, we... I think the, the, the idea of an advisor is they're giving advice, but um, they're really salespeople. Nothing wrong with being a salesperson, but that's what they are. Uh, but if you're looking for someone to take advice from, I would suggest you go look at, talk to a wealthy person. Right? You want somebody that's got the reputation that what they did worked, and they'll give you the advice that worked for them. Uh, it's, it, people, there's all kinds of people giving empty advice and uh, the truth is, is that uh, we need to have people that have a proven reputation, a proven um, uh, track record. The number one question uh, that we need to ask about somebody is, what does their reputation say? If we're wondering what to do, what to listen to, or who to listen to, what is their, what is their life saying? You know, in the church, it's common to have well-meaning people set themselves up in a prophetic kind of way, and I don't know if you've come across them yourself, but, uh, you know, they'll, they'll want to tell you, don't listen to this person. Well, this person's way off track. Don't listen to this teacher. Don't read that book. Don't go to that movie. And I think it's prudent to be discerning about what we do and allow into our lives. But the question that I have for these people is this. Does this brand of Christianity really work for you? What is the character like? Sometimes well-meaning people have got advice for us and their lives don't necessarily line up to what they're saying. There's no love there. According to Paul, character was everything. Reputation were very important. Timothy had it. Now, I'm not saying that we should look at everybody's lives in a critical way and point out their faults and you know, get divisive at all. That's not exact at all what I'm saying. What I am saying is when we truly make decisions in our hearts on who to listen to, consider this. Does it work for you and is it producing the fruit of the Spirit in your life? You know, one of the big, big stories in the Bible, one of the most important stories in my opinion, is the story of Joseph. 
If you recall, Joseph was a dreamer, and he loved to share his dreams with his brothers. And he shared them regularly with his brothers and thought that his brothers had the same enthusiasm as he did for his dreams. But instead, what happened, his brothers started to despise him. They hated him. And it got to the point where half of his brothers wanted him dead, and the other half were willing to set up a fake death so that uh, they could sell him into slavery. Eventually, they plotted to kill him, and, uh, or sorry, settled on a fake, faking his death instead and sold him into slavery. Now, the lesson that I get from the book or, for, or from the, the story of Joseph is that not everyone in your life will appreciate your dreams. Be careful who you share them with. Some will try to kill your dreams because they can't imagine doing it themselves. You know, uh, years ago, I started to look for uh, different things to do with our lives. And uh, Wendy and I were able to, I was able to stop being a police officer and uh, uh, was able to retire early. And it was uh, partly for medical reasons, but really it was because we were able to. And uh, it's because we were able to get some really good advice early on. There was, uh, I started investigating about rental properties and what to do about them. And I started to share these stories at work. And you know, it was strange that the more I shared the stories about what I wanted to do, the more my friends at work and everywhere, they came up with story, horror stories about how bad it was to have rental properties. And they had a friend who had a brother who had a cousin who had a story, it was a bad story about a rental property, and oh, you don't want to get into that, you don't want to do that. And their advice to me was to stay far from it. And I started to think about this for a long time, and I thought, you know what, that, there seems to me like there's a lot of bad renters out there if I listen to you guys. But in reality, there's 99% of everyone out there that rents is really good. Everybody, you know, uh, so I was taking information from them, and they had never done what we were thinking about doing. And their advice was not working for them. You know, they hadn't proven themselves, then they were content to be critics while they uh, tried to destroy my dreams. Uh, and they were afraid to test their own dreams, and they attempted to squash mine. As it turned out, thank God I didn't listen to them. Opportunities happened because we didn't listen to some voices. You know, just like the lessons of my field training officer, if we learn to uh, decide which voices are worth listening to and which ones are not worth listening to, we will arrive at our destiny fully equipped and prepared for the troubled times that lie ahead. Life is not full of, uh, you know, it's not an easy road. Most of you have got stories yourself. Uh, things go wrong in life. But you want to be fully prepared because you've taken the advice from the right sources. Ultimately, the voice we want to hear is the voice of God. We want to hear his voice. Sometimes we hear it through our uh, relationships with other people, through books, through uh, uh, sermons that we listen to. But we're hearing his voice, and we want to make sure that we're fine-tuned uh, uh, to know what it sounds like. You know, if we screen the voices through the filter of finding people that are 
not just average. They, there's no one like them. We're going to get the best advice possible. We look for the best advice out there. If we look for people that genuinely are concerned for us, they care about our welfare. And thirdly, they have a remarkable reputation. We know that their advice works because it's working in their life. I think if we keep in mind what Paul is telling the people in uh, Philippi, we'll be better prepared for every good work. We'll know his voice and be able to handle every challenge. Amen. I wonder if you could just stand and let's pray. Jesus, we know there are a lot of voices out there. And yet we only want to hear yours. We know that you cared so much for us that you gave your life. You genuinely compared or, uh, cared for our welfare. You genuinely laid your life down for us. And so it's your voice that we want to hear. As we go forward in life, help us stay tuned. Help us stay focused. Help us hear your voice. In Jesus' name.